All right, we're going to pray and then we'll get rolling. Marlon's a little nervous, all right, so. More than a little. <laughs> all right, let's pray. Uh, Father in heaven, uh, I want to thank you uh, for today for allowing us the opportunity to look into your word and have our hearts worked on and changed. God, I got to hear a little bit of Mackie's lesson and also a little bit of uh, Jason Chandler's lesson. It's just cool to have different uh, types of communicators, God, people with different areas of expertise, different ways, uh, God, that they can they can touch our hearts and help us be better at advancing your kingdom. God, I pray that uh, today that that takes place in every class. Uh, help us to have a lot of fun in this class and uh, just to uh, become closer to each other and you through it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So, uh, we're going to be talking today about uh, living a life that matters and how that basically requires us to be able to live in harmony with one another. And uh, there are a lot of, uh, there's a lot of strife whenever it comes to relationships between people in our country. Uh, and if you expect to hear a class or a lesson just on like some, just on racism, that's probably not going to be what you're going to get today. Uh, this is a, that we will talk about that, but there are lots of issues uh, in our society that people are dealing with that are causing divisions and calling us, causing us to not be in harmony with one another from everything from race. Uh, you know, you're not to look very far here in St. Louis over the past few years to see there's been huge issues and uh, across the country, but also when it comes to gender, when it comes to sexuality. Uh, you know, then smaller issues that don't get as much attention, like maybe the difference between uh, country folk and city folk or uh, socioeconomic classes, things like that. Uh, you know? uh, and, and they cause, those things can cause divisions and keep us from being in harmony with one another. And the problem with that is whenever we are not in uh, unity and harmony with one another, it it hurts our ability to be able to reach the world. It hurts our ability to fulfill the mission that God has given us. In Galatians 5.15, it says, if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. In the world, people are constantly biting and devouring and consuming one another and destroying each other. And whenever that takes place, uh, you know, people look at the church and they see the same thing taking place when they see the kingdom of God. And that, that should not be and cannot be the case. So as, as men and women of the kingdom of God, we have to do everything we can to ensure that we're living in harmony with one another, regardless of how different we might be, regardless of our race, our gender, regardless of our background, our socio socioeconomic class, all those things, no matter what there is that might, the world might allow to divide them, those same things cannot apply to us. Those things have to be thrown out the window. And so today we're going to be talking about that a little bit. And part of the way that we're going to do that is we're going to kind of tell you, first of all, a little bit about Marlon and I's story. Um, most of you guys know me, so I'll keep this short and simple, but I grew up in a house with a family who I really do believe love God, put him first did everything they can to provide for us while we weren't rich. We never really, you know, it was one of those things where I felt like we were in, in need of anything. I never, when I was younger, never thought, man, I, I wish I had something so much more than what I have because I grew up in a home that provided for my needs. And when they could, they would, they would try to provide me with things I wanted. And I felt very loved and secure. Grew up with an incredibly good church family around me. Uh, and I, I feel like life couldn't have been much better than what it was. It wasn't perfect by any means because no one's is. No parent is perfect. No child is perfect. 
but it was as good as I could imagine it being or, or getting. And so coming from that perspective and meeting Marlon when we were in middle school, uh, we came from very, very, very different places. And it would have been very easy for us to, uh, to bite and devour and not like each other. But I want to let Marlon kind of tell you his story to start off the day. Uh, and uh, kind of he's going to start early on and lead you up to where we're at right now. All right. So go for it. All righty. Uh, well, you already know my name. Most of you guys already know my story, but for those of you who don't, uh, I grew up in a broken home, um, come from a family of two, which really felt like one because most of the time, my dad, when he was around, he wasn't around, and he has been in and out of prison like seven or eight times. So even though it was a two-parent home, it was really a one-parent home. Uh, my mom was the only one that worked and provided for the family. Uh, my dad was a drug addict, of course. Uh, hence his, his stints in and out of prison, you know, doing stuff illegal that he shouldn't be doing. Um, growing up, you know, in that kind of household, of course, is rough, and you see things that you shouldn't see at a young age. You, you're involved in things that you shouldn't be involved in. Uh, you know, several occasions I had uh, drug dealers come to the house with guns looking for my dad, you know, because he owed him money or he, he robbed him in some sort of way. Uh, and that was my life pretty much, you know, looking for the family car because dad sold it or rented it out for the weekend for drugs, you know. Uh, I mean, it was, it was a normal life for me, you know. And leading on from that, apparently I'm not done. Yeah, you got to keep going. <laughs> you can't go all the way up till today. <laughs> leading on from that, you know, we, we bounced from house to house several times, you know, just come. I, like, I went to several different schools. Um, and then I wound up going to the same school and I met Kerry, you know, he was just like Jackson, if you can imagine <laughs> when I met him, uh, easy to get along with, very lovable, you know, just loved anybody, you know, and, and, uh, it, uh, actually drew me towards him, you know, his personality. But so we became friends, you know, and, uh, through that stint, I ended up walking away from God, like in, to my later teens, uh, you know, young adulthood, and took the path that my dad took, you know what I mean? Not using drugs, but I sold it, and I went to the extreme. I didn't sell a little bit. I sold a lot, you know, and uh, winded it up in prison, where I currently am today, an inmate. It may not look like it, but he is in prison, uh, actually. Hold on. Here's my ID. <laughs> So, it's official. And uh, once I screwed my life up, of course, I, I gave my life back to God because Carrie has always kept open communication with me, even though I was lost. He's, he's always dreamed for me and longed for me to be different. And uh, he had his moment to step in and shine when I hit bottom. And it was funny. So, to kind of continue Marlon's story, when he got busted, uh, I noticed his... Uh, now, ex-wife was freaking out on Facebook, so I called and tried to talk to her. She was losing it. Couldn't understand anything she was saying on the phone. I'm like, look, you got to have Marlon call me because I don't know what you're saying. I don't understand what's going on. So I get a phone call from a number that I don't know because he's calling me from like a burner phone. And I'm like, what is going on? I had three on? phones at the time. Yeah, you know. <laughs> and so, you know, he calls me, tells me what's happened. His house has been raided. They took, you know, all of his stuff. His kids and his wife are freaking out. He drove over. 
we sat in the parking lot at Lindenwood together, talked, cried, and uh, mostly cried. Yeah, it was rough. It was a rough conversation, but it was also awesome because it was the beginning of something totally different. And for the four, it was weird because he got busted then, and it took four years basically, almost four years, right? To the yeah, four years from the time he got busted, went to court, and actually went to prison. So over the course of that four years, it was awesome because I got to see Marlon's heart change. And I got to see him decide that he was going to go from the life he had been living and turn back to God. And so he stopped doing everything he was doing. He stopped selling, started, uh, you know, recommitted his life to God, started driving from Alton to church over here every week, went to small group, confessed a bunch of stuff that was outside of the drug dealing to his family that had happened and uh, was living the life as a godly man. And then, uh, you know, about two, about two, two and a half years ago, two, two years and three months probably. Uh, he got right two years ago in May. May 26, 16. Yeah. So May 26, 2016, he went into prison. And uh, it's been a, a journey, but he's been faithful throughout the whole time. As a matter of fact, a prison guard told me that Marlon had a pair of, um, yeah, on him. Uh, so because he was talking about how Marlon would talk to the other guys and stand up for what was right in prison. And he was, we'll, we'll just say he said he had a lot of courage. And... Uh, <laughs> And uh, so, you know, it, it's been cool to watch him in this scenario. But as you can tell, we, we come from extremely different backgrounds. And it would have been easy for us to bite and devour and to fight and not want to have anything to do with each other. But uh, those things were able to be put to the side and we've been able to become extremely close. And in God's family, that's the way that it should be. Right? You know, it doesn't matter what your background is, where you came from. We should be able to be in harmony with one another. I think about when Ben moved here from Brazil. Ben and I couldn't have different personalities. With Marl and I, we have different backgrounds, but we, there, there's a sense where we have a very similar personality. Ben and I had very different personalities and came from different backgrounds, but Ben and I became fast best friends, just, you know, like that, because there was something different that held us together. And in God's, uh, in God's kingdom, sometimes we have forgotten that. And so people look into the, into the church and they don't see the harmony and the unity that they should and they're not drawn to those things. And so we've got to figure out, but in order to kind of understand what we're talking about, you have to understand what harmony is. If you were going to sit here and say we need to be in harmony with a lot of people, people are like, I don't know exactly what that means. If you were to define harmony, it's defined as this, agreement and feeling or opinion or accord, a pleasing combination of elements as a whole. Harmonious, mutual understanding, accord, agreement, concordance, concurrence, uh, rapport, tune, unity. But if you think about it in music, harmony is that thing that fills it all out, right? You know, you've got the melody and the melody of the song. The melody is that main thing that kind of holds it all together. It's the part that you would remember. It's the part that, you know, you would hum or you would normally, most people would sing along with. That, that's what the harmony is, but the, I mean, that's what the melody is, but the harmony are those notes. It's another group of notes that go around it and they build it and they make it more beautiful. And it's, it's something you, you love to hear, but it's different, but it, it just fits together perfectly. You know, I remember the first time I, when we were, when we were young, if you were going to hear harmony, you were listening to Boys of Men. I remember the first time I heard Boys of Men, a Boys of Men song, and I was like, what? This is awesome. You know, and it's, it was just so cool to hear that. And you know, a melody in of itself, my favorite music is music that's going to have harmonies. If it's like a single person just singing and there's no harmonies, I'm like, ah, you can keep it. You start throwing harmonies in there and I'm like, man, it just, there's something that is beautiful about it. 
And uh, whenever it comes to a relationship with God, is you need to understand that harmony is not going to mean that every one of us is going to be singing the exact same note. We're not all going to be exactly the same or identical to the other people. But it, when people look at our lives, there's a melody that is carried through in a relationship with God. God is that melody. Christ is that melody. And the harmony is all of us coming together. And when people look at us and when they hear us, they interact with us, they should, they should hear something different. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 5 through 6, it says, There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but it's the same God who works in all. See, God is that thing that should hold us together. He's the melody that, that, that brings this tight-knit group together. And we've got, to keep, we've got to be able to keep our focus on him, but also realize that there's an additive in relationship with each other that the world is able to see through us. But the problem is there are also some roadblocks to harmony, things that keep us from being unified in the way that we should be. And uh, Marlon's going to kind of talk about the first thing that keeps us from being in harmony with one another. Okie dokie. One of the roadblocks is when we think of ourselves more highly than we should. Okay, and we're going to read Romans. Well, I'm going to read Romans 12.3. It says, I realize God has treated me with undeserved grace, and so I tell each one of you not to think of yourself better than you really are. Use good sense and measure yourself with the amount of faith that God has given you. And I know with my past situation, with me selling drugs and, and doing all the bad things that criminal elements do, you know, it's easy for other people to look down on me and, and to think they're better than I am because of my situation or, you know, like I would never do that. You know, I couldn't have, uh, associate with somebody like him because, you know, it, it might taint their persona of themselves, you know, because they're thinking of themselves more highly than they should. And I think, you know, with that, with like what Marlon's saying is the problem is that too many times, you know, it is easy to look at somebody like Marlon for most people and be like, you know, kind of put that hex up and be like, that person's bad. This person, and, and it's not just with things like Marlon, right? There are different struggles that we all face. And, and sometimes the more, the longer we've been in a relationship with God, the more lofty we think we are. And we forget where we began. And so we see people with different struggles or different backgrounds, and we see what's going on in their lives. And it's very easy for us to look at them and think of ourselves so much more highly than them because we're like, well, I have all my crap together. So look at that person, how messed up they are. And there's no way to find unity and harmony whenever we're so arrogant that we're thinking that we're better than everyone else, right? Racism goes back to those same very beginnings. You know, they, it, what it was is one group was looking at another group and they thought, oh, that group, because of the color of their skin, is somehow lesser than I am. And so what they did is they elevated themselves above everyone else and pointed out what they viewed to be a flaw in someone else. And the arrogance, really, when you boil it down, racism is really about arrogance and pride. And it's about, it's about somehow thinking that because of where we come from, we are better than someone else. You know, it, it's funny when you take a godly perspective, though, and you view yourself the way that you should and you view others the way you should, if you were to look at Marlon, you would see those things, but you would remember where you come from and what you've been involved in, not think of yourself so highly, but then you would also be able to look at Marlon and see, yeah, he's been in prison, but he's been extremely faithful to God in prison. Would I be able to be that faithful? And you start seeing, and, it, and all of a sudden, things start evening out. And you're like, okay, I don't have it all together. And this other person does have things that are powerful that I don't have. Okay, we got another verse. Uh, Luke 6, 41 and 42. 
It is, uh, and why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye and do not perceive the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, brother, let me remove the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the plank that is in your own eye? Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And, you know, it's pretty much saying that, you know, sin is sin, you know, your sin's not greater than his sin or his sin's not less than your sin. You know, just make sure your life is in order before you, you go attacking somebody else for what you think their sin is. You know, that's the thing that people hate about religion and Christianity more than anything else is the hypocrisy that they see. And, you know, hypocrisy divides people because they look and it keeps out of harmony because they look at you and they think and you pretend like you're so much better, but really people know you're not that great in the first place. And they see the way that we're trying to interact with each other, and they see that we are arrogant in the way that we deal with other people, and they see the hypocrisy of that, and they're like, well, you have your own stuff too, but you're not seeing it. And you know, he gives that example of that speck in someone's eye, and you got this giant pole heading out of yours, and you're so worried about getting that speck out of their eye, and you're beating them to death with this beam sticking out of your eye, where you're trying to fix the very little thing that's wrong with them. And if we're going to have harmony with one another, we have to take our own sin as seriously as we would anyone else's. And, and, and that keeps us from being in harmony with one another when we do that. Uh, another roadblock to harmony is viewing others through worldly eyes versus viewing other people through eternal eyes. See, what we perceive, the things that we see, we tend to view people and we judge them based off of what we're physically seeing going on with them. But whenever it comes to a relation with God, that's not at all the way that God calls us to view other people. That's not the way that Christ viewed us. If Christ viewed us the same way we did other people, he would have never came here in the first place. You know, he would have looked at us and he would have been like, no, those people are nasty. He's the only one who really had the, the ability and the uh, right to do that, but that's not the way he viewed us at all. In Matthew 9, 36 through 38, this is what it says. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord to harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. See, when he looked at people, he wasn't like, yeah, right? You know, when he looked at people of the world, he wasn't like, ooh, they're gross. Ooh, they're nasty. Ooh, they're a different color. Ooh, they have all this sin problem. They have all this junk. When he looked at them, he didn't see people the same way that we do. When he looked at them, he says he saw them as helpless and harassed, like sheep without a shepherd. And he longed for them to have something more. And he looked, at, he looked at the apostles and he looked at his people, the Jewish nation, and he had to be thinking, what is wrong with you? All these people are in need of a relationship with me. You're the ones who should be providing it, but you're not seeing them the way that I see them. And because of that, people are going to be lost. The harvest is so plentiful, but the workers are few. You see, Jesus says, you need to view each other with the same kind of lens or the same kind of eyes I do and see them eternally, not view them through a worldly perspective. When you do that, it changes everything. It goes from being, oh, that black kid from the projects to being, man, that kid grew up in a house where things weren't the way they should be. And he saw things he shouldn't have seen. And he dealt with hurts that a kid should never have to deal with. And he's lost and he's in need of a relationship with God. And then all of a sudden you start getting to the heart of what's going on and you start getting to the eternal 
need that they have, and it changes your whole perspective. You see, when you get to know someone like that, you start to love them and care for them because you're not seeing the physical attributes. You're seeing the hurts. You're seeing the, the lack of God and the lack of relationship in those lives. And we've got to learn to start viewing others through eternal eyes, not through our worldly eyes, if we're going to get rid of those roadblocks to keep us, keep us from having harmony with one another. How do we achieve harmony? Uh, one of the ways we achieve, achieve, achieve excuse me, harmony is keeping your focus on Christ. Uh, Colossians 1, 17 and 18, it says, And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is in the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that is in all things he may have his preeminence. Um, keeping your focus on Christ would allow you to have unity and harmony with Christ which will trickle down to harmony with each other. You, you can't have harmony with each other if you don't have harmony with your savior first. Um, and with my story, since you guys know I'm in prison, uh, you know, I've kept a strong relationship with God throughout the whole time, even being incarcerated. And uh, by me doing that, it allowed me to have harmony with him that actually trickled off to some of my coworkers. There's a guy, Dustin Schaefer, if you can put that picture up, that I work with. He's a, a younger kid. Nope. Nope. Yep. <laughs> That's him. Uh, me and this guy has really nothing in common. <laughs> As you can see by the nothing. truck. So he's, he's a big old farm boy, you know, usually has manure on his boots, you know, <laughs> nothing in common. So uh, I work with this guy, and I guess, you know, him seeing my light, you know, and, and knowing a little bit about me made him want to befriend me. And, of course, I invited him to the church I was attending, which is Church of Christ in uh, East Peoria. And uh, me and him have uh, become real close, and I started studying the Bible with him and got him baptized. Um, but it was through me having a relationship with God that, you know, he's seen that light in me. And I think, you know, one of the things to realize when you look at, when you look at this picture of him and you look at Marlon, uh, they really are very, very different, right? But what Marlon's trying to, to get across is when you're focused on Christ, the other things really do, they, they, they tend to pull together. But we get so focused on everybody else and what's wrong with them and all these different issues that we, we forget our main goal and our main purpose is to draw them to the thing that we should be focusing on. But when you have a steadfast view of Jesus, and, and that's where you're marching. Other people see the direction of your life, and they're like, hey, I want some of that as well. You know, the cool thing about this is Dusty, Dusty's the kid that Marlon got to study with and baptize, but there have been other guys who Marlon is still in contact with, younger guys who he's in prison with, who he got to tell his story to. And they're like, hey, when I get out, if I'm not going to be back in here, I've got to do something different. So there are other guys who have told Marlon, when I get out of prison, I'm moving. I want to be where you are. I want to be a part of the church that you're going to. I want to come and live there because I want my life to be different. That is only taking place because of Marlon's focus on Christ. You know, he would tell you, he, he, he was scared to death to get up here. He's been pooping all morning, you know. <laughs> Still. You know, but... It, but, but, you know, the thing is, he's going to do it because his focus is on Christ, regardless of how scared he is. He's like, this is what I'm going to do. That's what he's been doing in prison. And because of that focus on Christ, other people are seeing the difference that God makes. And, it, and it's pulling them in line behind him. 
There's one more verse added to that first, uh, Corinthians 2.2, 2, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And once again, that's just keeping your focus on Christ, not allowing anything else in the world to uh, distract you from your focus, but just keeping focused on Christ and uh, you will be in harmony with him. Yeah, and there's no, you know, when you're focused on Christ and the fact that he died for, he died for you and he died for other people, how do, you, how do you get busy enough to worry about everybody else's issues and everybody else's problems and to start judging everybody else by their race, by their background, where they come from, what their sins are? You know you don't. And okay, I want to clarify something. I'm not saying we don't deal with each other's sin, all right? When there's sin in the body, the Bible makes it very clear we have to deal with that. That's one of the ways that we stay in harmony with each other and with Christ is by helping each other with those things. But there's a difference in loving someone and helping them work through a sin and an issue that they're facing in their life and, and you know, discarding someone because of a sin or an issue or something that they're facing in their lives. We have to deal with those things, but we have to do so in a loving manner. When you focus on Christ, it helps you to do both of those things. The second thing we have to do to achieve harmony is I have to keep my spirit humble and submitted to God. Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8 say, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form, form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself, and he became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And you look at that passage and say, look, this is what Jesus did. He didn't look down here and say, people and humans are a mess, they're gross, and I don't want anything to do with them and their sin and all those things. But he said, no, I have to go there and I have to become a human. You see, he had to submit his will. He had to be humble enough to take himself from the perfect, incredible, heavenly position that he had. And he had to say, I'm going to go put myself into a human body. And not only am I going to do that, but I'm going to allow myself to die and not just die, but die a gruesome death in order to pay for all of their issues and all of their problems. And if we would take on that same humble attitude and if we would submit ourselves to God in that same way, it would deal with the divisions within our churches. It would deal with the divisions in our country if everyone would take on that, that form. And they would say, you know what? I need to be what I need to be for other people. And that means I have to lay down who I am and what I feel like I'm worth. And I have to be willing to lay down my very life for people who are completely different to me, whether or not I think they deserve it or not. And when you're able to do that, it changes everything. It connects you to other people. Uh, 1 Peter 5, 5 says, all of you be submissive to one another. Be clothed with humility for God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. See, we've got to be willing to be submissive to each other and clothed in humility in a way that allows us to interact no matter what our backgrounds are, no matter what our race is, no matter where we come from. I'm going to submit myself to Christ in such a way that none of those things matter. All of those things fade away and, and become a distant second to my relationship with God and being in harmony with him. Yeah. Okay. Hello. Hello. Okay, we're on. <laughs> and the last point uh, of keeping or being in harmony is to keep your heart tender. Be like kids. Romans 12.10, it says, Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor, giving preference to one another. 
Um, I'm pretty sure everybody's seen the photos on Facebook, because everybody's on Facebook, of the different nationality of kids just playing with each other, you know, black kids, white kids, and there's usually some cute little posts at the bottom. I believe that, you know, in Roman or Matthew 18:3, when God says, and he said, I truly tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Is it because kids don't see color? Is that, you know, could that be why Jesus said that? Because you have to have a heart of a child not, not to see, you know, just superficial, you know, surface stuff and look at the heart of somebody and get to know somebody. You know, when little kids get together and play, you know, you look at these old, these old pictures. When we were young, like a lot of the things that, that we think mattered didn't matter to us, right? Like when you're a little bitty kid, you watch, you put a bunch of toddlers in a room together, you know, and they start toddling around, they start playing. They're not going to group themselves in black and white and Indian. That's not what, what's going to happen. You know, they're going to get in there. They might have disunity and disharmony about other things like the toys that they're playing with, right? But they're not going to look at each other as these little babies. They're not looking at each other and being like, I'm playing with that dude. He's black. Like, I'm going over here. Like, that, that doesn't happen because they haven't been taught to think that way. See, the things that divide us are things that we've learned. Right? And that's something you were wanting to talk about with, you know, just unlearning things. No. No, you want to talk about it now? No. Okay. You know, in the car, it was one of the things that Marlon was talking a lot about is just the idea that, you know, if, if racism and hating someone or disliking someone because of their background or how much money they have because they're poor or because they're rich, right? It goes both ways. It's kind of funny because when it comes to racism or poverty uh, issues, it, it, isn't it weird how uh, it's really looked down on if you're rich to look down on the poor, but nobody really says anything to the poor people who look down on the people who have more, right? We do the same thing with race sometimes. You know, we view it as a one-sided thing, and one, of, one side of the racism issue or one side of the poverty issue is the problem, but the other flip side of that racism, nobody ever addresses and deals with when they're both sin, right? But, you know, when you're a kid, you're not, you learn to, to dislike people who are different than you. You are taught that. It's not something that's innate. It's not something that you're born with. So if you can be taught that, Marlon, the point he was making in the car is if you can be taught that, anything that you can learn, guess what else you can do? Unlearn. Woo, he said it, right? You know, it's, a, you know, it's one of those things to where you, you, if you're taught it, you can also unlearn it. Uh, in South Pacific, the musical uh, Rodgers and Hammerstein wrote about that in one of the songs because it deals a lot with race, and it says this. You've got to be taught to hate and fear. I was like, no, I can't read it. You have to be taught to hate and fear. You have to be taught from year to year. It's got to be drum in your dear little ear. You've got to be carefully taught. You've got to be oddly be carefully taught. You've got to be taught to be afraid of people whose eyes are oddly made and people whose skin is of a different shade. You've got to be carefully taught. You've got to be taught before it's too late, before you're six or seven or eight, to hate all people your relatives hate. You've got to be carefully taught. You have to be carefully taught. See, this isn't something that you just learn. We don't, we don't, we, or we're not born looking at everybody else and saying, I hate that person because they're different than me. We learn to deal with things that way. So if we can learn it, we can unlearn it. And we do that through being like Christ. We do that from keeping our focus on him and, and living by the principles he's lied, at, he's lied out for us to, to abide by. And whenever we do that, it changes the way that we interact with everyone. 
And so we've got to make sure that we're, we're remembering that we can unlearn those things. And then finally, if I'm going to um, be able to, you know, bridge gaps and uh, be able to have unity and harmony with people, I have to keep the unity of the Spirit. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3 says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. He says, listen, I want you to do whatever it takes to keep the unity of the Spirit. Because you see, what, what God understands and what the apostles understood, what Jesus understood is that whenever we are not unified with the Spirit and we're not unified with one another, we are never going to have the kind of global impact we were designed to have. You know, how sad is it that churches are so racially divided? What does that say to the world? You know, everybody knows it's a, it's, it's a famous quote, right? What, when is the most racially divided time of the week? Sunday mornings, right? Churches, black, in our brotherhood, we have black churches and white churches. That's messed up. That's not, that's not having the unity of the spirit. What is that saying to the world? I mean, what is it saying to the world? Even with our campus ministry, you really bring it down to a micro thing, you know, instead of these huge issues like racism. What does it say to the world whenever you're living, you're living with a roommate in college and you're talking trash on your brothers and sisters in Christ that are in your campus ministry to your roommates or the people in your class or your family or the people you work with? And they're seeing disunity and disharmony within the, within the family of Christ. There's a couple things we need to learn with that. First of all, deal with it with the person you have the issue with. Get in harmony with one another because you're hurting your witness. And second of all, shut our mouths talking to other people about things that we shouldn't be talking to them about. Deal with the issues so that you don't have to show people a disunity or of the spirit. See, we've got to make sure that we are all being tuned by the same thing. L listen to this. And this is something I found, uh, this is uh, by A.W. Tozer. It says, has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically also tuned to each other? They are of one accord being tuned, not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. So 100 worshipers meeting together, each one looking away to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they possibly could be were they to become unity, conscious, and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship? See, the thing that we should be tuned to is God. And when we're tuned to God, we're in sync with one another. And when we start looking outward and viewing anything else, we get out of harmony, out of sync with each other. And there is no way for us to, to for people to be able to look at our relationships and see terrible, jacked up, hateful, bitter, angry, judgmental relationships with each other and say, man, I want to have a relationship with Christ if that's what it looks like. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've seen that take place. I've had parents who aren't Christians call me and they want to talk to me about an issue going on with two of my campus students. And the parents aren't even disciples. They're not Christians. But this one of my one of my people in my campus ministry are talking about issues they have with a brother or sister to people who aren't even disciples instead of dealing with it and tuning themselves to Christ and showing their family something different. So their parents are calling, they're saying, basically they're saying, hey, like your church is messed up. This family's no better than ours. 
We've got to be able to live in harmony with one another regardless of where we come from or what we've been through. You know, when I look at Marlon's story and what he's, what he's been doing and what he's done in prison and his relationship with people there, I'm extremely proud of him because he, it would be very easy for him to be able to use what he's been through and what he's done as an excuse. But instead, what he's doing, he's looking to Christ, he's being in tune with him, and he's finding big old country boys, you know, who are driving trucks with him at his work release program, and he's studying the Bible with them, and no, no matter how different they are, people like Dusty are able to say, hey, I want what you have. You know, and, and I remember Marlon coming down, and he was like, hey, Dusty's really excited to meet you and everybody at the church because of all they've heard about you. Isn't that what we want to be able to say about everybody that we're reaching? Hey, you know, when they come, they're like, man, I've heard so much about you and your campus ministry and your church and how good your relationships are. I'm so excited to meet you guys because I want that. That's the way that it should look. That's how we're going to live in harmony with one another. And so let's, let's bend ourselves to the will of God. Let's be tuned to Christ and his purpose for our lives. And it will deal with all the issues. Marlon's going to close us out in a prayer and uh, we'll wrap it up. <laughs> I didn't tell him that, so. Shortest prayer you ever hear. <laughs> Father, I want to thank you for uh, this lesson being over. Thank you for allowing <laughs> us all to be here together, God, in unity. Uh, allow this uh, lesson to soak into our lives, God, and allow us to apply it out in the world, God, and uh, not forget what you have taught us, God. Send your sense name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Woo!